Well, we're in the showrooms of William Medcalf Vintage Bentley, surrounded by these wonderful machines and talking to the man himself, William Medcalf. For a very young man, you're well known in Bentley circles as one of the great experts on vintage Bentleys. How did, you know, where did that passion come from? How did you get started in such a narrow field, automotive field? Um, well, it was really my father's fault. Uh, his idea of a family holiday was 28,000 miles around America in a vintage Bentley. So uh, my two older sisters and mum and dad, uh, we set sail for nine months and travelled North America, uh, up through Canada, um, every coastal road and across the middle. So uh, looking out the, the rear window of a vintage Bentley, meeting new people every day. Um, the different states in America are, are very diverse. So meeting new people, new faces, the challenges of uh, getting an old car around a trip like that uh, was set me up for wanting to travel, wanting to meet people and, and the reliance that, that a vintage Bentley offers as a pre-war car is truly fantastic. So I think that's where it really started. Well, you used broadly their pre-war car, but you've tended to focus on uh, sort of late 20s, er, very early 30s. Is that because that ties in with the, the sort of glorious Le Mans years, of, which, which really built the brand? Um, well, I was lucky that growing up, father had a, a vintage Bentley. Um, and all through, the, you know, there are some great pre-war makes. Uh, but Bentley is, um, I think without doubt, a, a premier of that. Uh, it's still a global brand today and it's certainly the, uh, the excitement of the Bentley boys and the Lamore history um, is undeniably attractive. Um, so yeah, very soon um, when I went working professionally, uh, I realised that if you're going to do something, do it well and do one thing well rather than the many things badly. Um, so it, it soon became self-evident that to focus on one mark, just 10 years of, of production, uh, but to try and master that would be, would be an aim. So you started off in a lock-up, basically, as I, as I understand it, with your dad providing the lock-up and some kit and so on and so on. And then you've grown the business from there. It's, as you say, it's a highly specialised business, but it's continually expanding, so it seems. You've not been very many years in this location. Yes, was again very fortunate. Um, my father was a toolmaker by trade, so uh, growing up, he said, "You know, son, you can be anything you want, be an accountant, do do whatever you want to do, but um, I'm going to teach you some hand skills, and at least through life, you'll you'll be able to you'll be able to fix the kitchen sink." So as a as a young boy, I used to stand on a wooden stool, which I still have, um, and he'd teach me to drill and hacksaw and file and so on. And slowly over the years, I helped him repair um, the family car and um, working from home, um, you know, just being involved in everything. So he gave me a hand skill set um, and an engineering interest, which I then took on um, to college and uh, went into engineering. And I was going to go into the, into the plastics industry. And um, dad just, just said, you know, said to me, why, why don't you, you know, you like working on Bentleys, you love cars and you love what you do, uh, why don't you, well we've got a spare lock-up carriage at the, at the family yard, why don't you, you know, give it six months and see how you get on. Well, um, so it actually hadn't occurred to you that that might be a, a viable career? No, I was more interested in the engineering side and, um, and the plastics industry was, was quite exciting of new materials and what they can do with it. Um, so I've always had a very strong en engineering bias. 
um, through his teaching. Uh, but you know, it turns out he, he may have been right. Um, I can mix the both. I can mix my engineering and my engineering interest uh, with some motorsport and, and on the cars I love. So. Um, so as the business expands, you move here a few years ago. I mean, this is this is as much museum, if you like, as 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 it is a car showroom. But you can probably just hear in the background the factory behind us and the design area and so on and so on. I'm trying to get a handle on what the business does: it repairs, restores, pro uh, supports rallies, etc. Well, you, you you tell me. It's a very diverse business. Um, yes, it, it's certainly grown grown that way. The lovely thing is, it's all all organic. Um, it's organic growth that, firstly, came from purely just working on and repairing vintage Bentleys, um, and building a client base uh, that, that wanted quality work and quality repairs. Uh, it then becomes self-evident that you need the supply of parts. Um, you can have a workshop with 30 cars and 50 mechanics and if they haven't got any bits they can't actually do anything so supply chain becomes apparent uh, so good manufacturing business um, was essential to, to be able to control the supply chain um, that then leads to proper tool makers CNC equipment scanning equipment uh, and, and all the modern technologies that we need to to be efficient um, and then moving to this site um, seven years ago allowed us to open up into the into the sales market because uh, we were fortunate that we that we got a showroom as well so the sales again has grown out of that and then we end up with this beautiful pendulum that swings between uh, a, the sales department that is then the workshop supports the sale the parts supply supports the workshop uh, and backwards and forwards so it's it's um, a, a nice little circle uh, that will help each other internally to produce whatever the client w wishes. So we've, we've touched on the equipment and, and we, we will um, hopefully look at the factory a little bit later but most businesses are about people. You've got a really select hand-picked team who have come from or have a, had associations with some of the great car makers, some of the most prestigious car makers. You've been very good at bringing in people from outside. I think it's it's you know, a duty uh, to the business and, and any um, CEO needs to be able to bring people together and bring the right team together um, and recognising that this is it is a is a proper little business. Um, it's grown from a from a fledgling bag of spanners and a lock-up garage uh, into into what it is today. So to protect it and to look after it, to nurture it, it is about bringing those right people together. Um, so our, our head of manufacturing um, has had significant input into other major global brands. Um, so yeah, we do look for for um, good appointment. Well, I, I think sort of organisations like Rolls-Royce and Aston Martin and so on have been mentioned on various people's CVs, so there's strength in depth there. Yeah, absolutely, um, and employing proper real engineers. Um, we have one uh, graduate with us, uh, and she, you know, she's a, she's a star, a rising star of the future. So um, our KTP project, our knowledge transfer project, um, is all about upskilling our workforce um, with the technologies and the abilities that are out there today, cutting edge. 
Uh, and we do that through Surrey University, um, through this KTP, which not only helps us grow um, as a business, but it helps upskills our staff and in turn feeds the university with, with problems to solve, which, which they love. So uh, we are very much at the forefront of uh, automotive engineering, even though we have a 90-year-old product, um, because no one else is doing that. So uh, they've got a rich seam of, uh, of challenges, and uh, we've got a, a great collaborator. I, I'm intrigued by that, the fact that you're, you're working on cars which are, for the most part, 80, 90, nearly 100 years old, but you're developing CAD systems so that you can produce the parts even more accurately than they were originally produced. And you're, you're prototyping using 3D printing, which is right at the other end of the engineering spectrum. Yeah, rapid prototyping is a, um, yeah, a, good, a good tool. Uh, and even though the cars are 90 years old, there's no reason why you can't apply modern business techniques, there's modern engineering techniques um, to, to this old industry. And um, I think, you know, I'm just probably the first of my generation to, to pick it up and look at it in a, in a serious manner uh, to, to best uh, achieve results out of, of all of, of what we do, whether it's engineering or the business or, or whatever. Um, it's it's a you know the, the UK is a 5.5 billion pound uh, motorsport industry. Um, if you look at races like Goodwood and the events that are run, um, it's not going to go anywhere fast in terms of disappearing. Uh, but it is going everywhere fast in the way of of, of what we what our output is. Um, and so for the country, it's great that there is this investment in motorsport. As an aside, I mean I started interviewing people. Uh, before the huge resurgence of interest in historic and classic cars and so on, and before Goodwood and so on. And I well remember uh, Derek Bell saying to me, I think in the early 80s, I'm never going to drive one of those vintage cars, they're too damn dangerous. Well, you know, Derek, like everybody else, has, has remade his career and has, has had a, a, a renewal of his career based upon the enormous growth in, in, in cars of this sort of period and the 40s, 50s and so on. Um, and the enormous growth in that motorsport. And one of the areas that has been very important, particularly I think for these older cars, are these, these long distance rallies. The, the owners who uh, seem to be quite happy to take them on the road for weeks, months at a time. You very much support that and the whole team here support those sorts of endeavors. Yes, I think, I think um, the British have a, a great way of being quite pessimistic um, whereas I think actually if you think of the internet came along and all the bookshops were, were going to be dead and knitting's definitely out, well actually there's a resurgence in knitting, there's a research and resurgence in books. Um, I think the, the advent of the electric car is a, you know, a marvel and a fantastic necessity for the future uh, and I don't doubt within five or ten years we'll all be driving electric cars. However, I think there will always be a place for um, a car that you really can drive, that you can feel um, the wind in your hair from the steering to the brakes. And so I think our iconic British brands, vintage Bentleys particularly, have got a great future. And I think people are going to want to drive them and want to be out there um, because, because it's real. And so people like Derek Bell who, who pick up 
uh, racing vintage bent is at Le Mans, which he's done, yeah. Um, yeah. and Goodwood supporting with events and the, the myriad of rallies which are um, going all around the world. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge, serious industry, so I think there's a, a huge market there. So we will do all we can as a business to support those events uh, and rallies uh, wherever they are in the world um, and pushing vintage Bentleys to the front of that. <laughs> Whenever there's the, the result sheets come in, you know, we want to see vintage Bentleys near the top or up the top. I, I think you've, you've said in the past that, that you're prepared to send mechanics anywhere for one of your clients. And you have done so, I think, Japan, Mongolia, and so on. Absolutely, yeah, we, 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 um, we may buck the trend, but we know no borders. Uh, we're a business that doesn't sleep. We're, we're available 24 seven uh, and globally. And uh, we have a, uh, there's a rally on literally on this minute in Saigon. Uh, we have two members of staff which are vaccinated and um, as a precaution, and if the phone call comes, uh, they'll be on the next flight. It's an interesting observation. I wouldn't have thought about the vaccination of staff, that they can go anywhere, not, not just yeah. that they've got the parts, they've got the kit and the knowledge, yeah. but they need to be in good shape health-wise. Absolutely. Um, and the guys know um, perhaps it's part of the attraction of working here. It's part of is, the adventure. Is this, there's, yeah, this, this, is, this is an interesting place to work, mm -hmm. and tomorrow morning may be very different from today. Interesting. Uh, one of the, the stories that, that um, I spotted recently was this discovery of a, of, of a Bentley, a disassembled Bentley, in, in a house. And you restored that. Well, I, I, I say restored. You, you haven't fully restored it. Tell me a little bit about that, because that's a fascinating story. Yeah, that, 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 um, that beautiful project just grew and grew. Um, we first found a, a dismantled car in a house and then it transpired that it was a, a little more and um, that it was a, a quite a rare car. Um, the body was thought to be beyond repair, um, but again, uh, in, you know, using the right people, we very carefully managed to salvage it all and get it back together. It was a bit touch and going at times, um, but it was one of eight built. It was a, a drophead by Victor Broom. Um, and so we believe the last surviving one the car itself, the mechanical components, the engine still bore the um, original lead seal, which was fitted in 1928. Uh, so there aren't many vehicles like that. So uh, it soon became apparent that our, our responsibility was not to restore that car, um, but to carefully clean it all, put it all back together, um, save the body and, and put it back as it was. So the car today has only done 39,000 miles from new. Um, it's so correct in detail. We literally sifted the dirt um, to find every last nut bolt and washer. And the gentleman that stripped it did a fantastic job um, of labelling parts and so on. So we can honestly say the car is probably 98% original. Um, and it stands as a testament to how the f original finishes were achieved. We've not polished anything. Um, so it, it, it today stands as a benchmark for how a vintage Bentley was uh, and how it was um, constructed and so that's nice a nice little time capsule again we see the market moving on from the highly polished um, Concord's cars um, certainly England's leading the way in that uh, which sometimes referred to as the oily rag look um, but certainly the honest honest car look uh, terms like first paint first leather um, 
come into play with cars now. Um, so we are seeing uh, that people want different different things from a restoration or yeah. a preservation, as we like to say. So it's, it's people are concerned very much now about keeping the, the original patina as much as possible, and you subscribe to that view as well. Absolutely, um, but equally, uh, it does come down to the owner. So if, if an owner had bought that car that wanted it pin perfect and ready for a, a big concourse, um, then we would have suggested that it wasn't a car for him. Uh, he very much was supportive um, in the preservation of that car and keeping it uh, honest and as it should be and as it left the factory. So he was absolutely the right owner for the car. We should sort of investigate the numbers a little bit. I, I'm, I'm loath to get into too much the nitty gritty of what costs what, but let's say somebody bought to you uh, a Bentley and said, full restoration, do whatever it needs doing, to an agreed plan, what sort of money are we talking about? Which side of a million, for example? Yeah, uh, well, the, well um, to try and quantify that a little more, if it was a, so if it was a four-cylinder Bentley um, and somebody came in and asked us to uh, mechanically completely rebuild the car um, so that we could you know, pretty much warranty it for the next 10 years or so, um, then you'd probably spend a quarter of a million pounds uh, to completely go through it and set the car up for the future. Um, we've done that several times before. Uh, we've got a, um, a growing list of um, clients who, who like that service. They give us a car, we find them a car, and we just completely go through it. So there are no stone left unturned. Uh, and then we can absolutely back them up anywhere they go in the world. Uh, and the testament to that is last year, uh, we had one client who had exactly that service and he completed 16,000 competitive rally miles in six months. And, uh, and that was fantastic. And you kept the car in tip-top order in between those rallies? Absolutely. Many of our um, rally cars that we look after, um, we have a predetermined schedule. And uh, when you actually look at it, you find out that the car comes back from at one event and then we have a three-week turnaround time and it's being shipped on the next event and then we'll come back from that event and it literally may be over a weekend or three days and then he's off onto another event. And so our service schedule windows are sometimes quite tight. So that's where supply chain and pre-planning and uh, the picking of parts and, uh, and being able to get the guys to work over the weekends or whatever's needed to keep these cars out there fighting for the points and, and winning trophies. Well, I know one of the things I've already picked up is that, that you are... Uh, a great believer in deadlines, in, in, in working to deadlines and working in a very modern contemporary way even though these are older cars and you used the phrase earlier bag of spanners that's an image that you really want to make sure that you steered away from. Um, yeah I think it's it's important if we don't take ourselves seriously then, then no one else's. Sure. Um, we have some wonderful clients from around the world um, and when you do business with Germany and Switzerland and so on uh, you, you do um, you do find that you need to sharpen your pencil and you've got to be absolutely uh, precise in what you, what you promise and what you deliver. Um, and so rather than, as probably as traditional, garages run away from deadlines and there's a car in the corner which is a project car and there's another car that we're going to get around to doing sometime one day, one day yeah. uh, that was banned long ago. Uh, we run head, headlong towards a deadline as long as it's realistic. Uh, we sign contracts to deliver uh, cars, so we are contractually 
got to deliver, uh, which then focuses the business, and therefore you do get a um, you know a real sense of of genuine urgency. Uh, you, know, you, you don't want to be fobbing off a customer and, and trying to make time in a job. That that's ridiculous. Have a contract, have it signed, have it agreed, uh, have a shipping date, uh, and and then then you you've got something that you can start to manage. Um, under promise, over deliver is always sure. He's always key. John Peters, I think it was totally. But, um, yeah. Well, a lot of your clients, and, and I'm sure you have a very loyal client base. A lot of your clients, I guess, have made their money to be able to afford to do these things in a modern business environment. So they expect there to be targets. They expect there to be cost controls and so on. All the elements of a modern business. Absolutely, project management is key. Um, we don't like anything really to go over 12 months. Um, anybody will get bored of a job after 12 months. Uh, so any car that comes in, we, we can certainly turn it around in that time. Uh, the ability that we can make anything, we can source anything, uh, is again another key factor. Um, but good project management and be able to explain to a client where we are financially, where we are with the, the physical project, and internally knowing where we are week by week. Um, it's all strength. You, we, we've referred to um, Goodwood several times, and, and you know because it is in the forefront of the growth in the historic and classic movement and so on. You had the opportunity to run a very rare car at Goodwood at the Festival of Speed relatively recently. Yes, I was um, very lucky um, to be invited to drive the, the Pacey Hassan. Uh, it's one of only two Hassan cars uh, ever built. Uh, it, it averaged uh, Brooklands at 129 miles an hour. Uh, so it is a it's a it's a proper bit of kit, a fantastic car to drive. Um, I'm fortunate; I know it reasonably well, um, and we should be at the next members meeting with it, um, competing. So that's it's a fantastic honour and a and a perk of the job, I think. <laughs> well, we talked about your passion and the fact that your passion was um, was ignited, if you like, by your father and his interest in Bentleys. I gather you still got your father's car. Yes, um, our, father, uh, our father had a, a Speed 6 when we, we went travelling in a 3, 4.5 and, and when we came home he decided that it just wasn't quick enough. Mm. So uh, he, he, he knew he wanted a Speed 6 and 35 years later we still have it. Um, so my sisters and I look after that and uh, that will hopefully stay in the family in perpetuity. So. And you still give that a run out occasionally because it's, Abs- it's, it's not just about putting cars in museums, it's no, about driving. not at all. All these cars get, get driven mm-hmm. um, and the best way I think to see a car is coming sideways through a chicane, so <laughs> <laughs> they're there to be driven. Exactly so. Thank you very much, William. That's, that's a nice note to end on. Thank you for your time. It's much appreciated. My pleasure. Thank you. Motor Talk, a first take media production.